Hello, everyone. I'm Dalton Burdett. I'm Nick Iricchio. And we are the Movie Knights. Well, some of them. If you're watching this because you want to hear our uncensored, unfiltered thoughts and opinions about the world of movies and entertainment news, so kick back, relax, and thank you for being a part of the conversation. Fucked it up right at the end. Ooh. But hey, I had a hell of a weekend. Yeah? What you got going on? Got to see Ian. Yes. Got to go to My Chemical Romance concert representing the merch. <laughs> Head to toe MCR today. And now I'm recording the show. And now you're... What a weekend. What a weekend. How about you? Uh, yeah, just kind of hung out. Uh, spiraled. <laughs> I also got to see Ian. Yes. Uh, went to Disney Springs and had mm-hmm. some drinks, and now I'm recording the show. Yes. By the way, for those of you that don't know, Ian was a former movie knight. He was star of such films as No More Safe Haven, as the amazing skit Vinny and Vincent that <laughs> Nicholas and Ian himself directed. Uh, wonderful man, wonderful guy. Great to see him. Yes. I had I had like a whole thing to like go into that. <laughs> I hope he watches the show because that'd be really funny if he be, didn't. And yeah, he was right. Just saying all these sentiments because we'll never yeah. tell him to his face. Oh, absolutely not. Why would we do that? No, 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 no not no. at all. So to kick off the show today, we actually have a couple um, sad things to report. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of losses in the industry. One that uh, we didn't mention last week just because it was a busy show. Um, the first one I want to talk about is the passing of a great filmmaker named John Luc Godard. He was a basically the pioneer of like French new wave cinema, French mm-hmm. new wave movies. If you know, there's a film nerd out there like myself who wants to like in the memory of John Luke Godard, John Luke Godard, watch a film of his. He has several great movies. The one that I would recommend is currently streaming on HBO max. It's called, um, Vivra Save. It's probably pronounced wrong. The English translation is my life to live. Mm-hmm. Look, Google my life to live. See how it's spelled. Find it on HBO max. Uh, I believe it came out in 1962. Great movie. It's about a woman's slow descent into prostitution. And with his view on filmmaking, you're just slowly watching this girl fall into this. And there's nothing that the audience can do about it. It's a fantastic movie. And it has one of my favorite movie lines of all time. A line that's so good. I used to, it was written in my notebook when I was in film school. And I would have it at the top because it was just, it just really impacted me. And it's the, in the opening scene of the film it's shot where two characters are sitting at a bar and you only see them from the back. You don't see their faces. There's a mirror in front that's out of focus, mm-hmm. but you only see them from the back. And they're having a conversation. They're clearly like a couple and they're arguing about like where their relationship's going. And um, I'm going to paraphrase the line, but it's basically the male character says something along the lines of, "We, sh- you know, it's okay, let's just keep talking. And she says, no, we shouldn't keep talking. And he says, why? And she says, because the more we talk, the less words mean. Mm. And it was a line that always stuck with me. I thought that was a fantastic line in that movie. And with how it's shot from the back, good shit. <laughs> and uh, yes, so watch that film on HBO Max. Vivra Save. Again, I'm pronouncing that wrong. My Life to Live, if you want to Google it. Great movie. Uh, I, I'm not familiar personally with any of his, yeah. his work, but I'll definitely want to check that out. Huge pioneer. So is it kind of like a not hopeful type thing where you're kind of just slowly like was he just trying to isolate the audience is that kind in of in a way a modern comparison i would do is uncut gems okay where each time every time you watch that movie you're just like please make the right move adam sandler like please mm-hmm. please stop doing this to yourself it's kind of like that oh okay mm-hmm. interesting um, I mean, as long as he was consistent i guess yeah good. that's kind of a he buckled down on it yeah no it's impressive excellent filmmaker and another big loss and like i actually had a moment when i like the jean-luc godard I had a moment with this loss, too. Um, Louise Fletcher passed away. And for those of you that don't know, uh, I'm going to pull from Variety here, who was one of the people to report on their passing. Louise Fletcher, who won the Best Actress Oscar for her indelible performance as Nurse Ratched in Milos Foreman's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, died Friday at her home in France, according to a rep. She was 88. It's She was one of the greatest movie villains of all time. Oh, Absolutely. And that performance is riveting. Like, you hate her, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to hate her. The beauty, I think, of that role is because I, I read that book in high school. Oh, interesting. I never read the novel. I re- Yeah, I read the novel. Mm-hmm. Fantastic novel. And the, the book translation is great. You know, book to film, everything yeah. like Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. as the lead. Uh, something that was great about it was Nurse Ratched in the comic, in the, the comics, in the, oh comics, God, yeah. Yeah. the uh, in the book is so 
not like over the top, but like it's really like a, hey, you're not supposed to like this person. Yeah. And the subtlety that she was able to do mm-hmm. that with, like it's so over the top in the in the in the book, mm-hmm. which was kind of something where I was like, all right. And then I watched the movie. I was like, oh, that's yes, yeah, good, yeah, great way to adapt that, yeah. And like just you're with with a look, mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, I hate this woman. Like, and her and Nicholson played off. Oh each my other. god, Jack Nicholson played off each other so well. Yes, yes. So uh, funny story. Obviously, she had like a great body of work that you should go mm-hmm. check out. We're just using one flu because yeah. it's just the one we know her most from. But a funny allegory about One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, obviously, my favorite movie of all time is Jaws. Anyone who's watched me for any period of time knows this. <laughs> and when I was doing a bunch of movie research, like when I really first got into movies, I watched Jaws and I just thought to myself, like, well, that obviously won Best Picture because it's the best movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And then I look into it and I found out that this other dumb movie called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest beat it. That was the same year. Oh, and I, I didn't know that. And I was like fuck whatever that movie is because it beat jaws and then my dad was talking to my dad and my this was in high school and i was like yeah some movie called one foot of the cuckoo's nest beat jaws can you believe that and he goes have you ever watched that movie and i was like no this is where i learned this lesson (laughs) always watch it first before you talk shit and he's like let's watch it because i think netflix like just happened at the time and it was on there and i was like all right. It was really good. <laughs> when I watched the movie, I was like, all right, I guess it could beat Jaws Fair yeah. at the Oscars. It was a fanta- It's a fantastic movie. And part of the reason for Louise Fletcher's unbelievable performance. She's oh, yeah. She on elevated that, that whole thing. Without yes. her, that yeah, doesn't yes. work. Yeah. So, you know, with that out of the way, you know, with the sadness gone, we're going to keep things going with happiness. Nick, what's the first story you got for us? First major story is... Uh, well, you're a you're a Cloverfield fan, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see Paradox? I didn't see Paradox. No, don't do that. I heard that. Uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, though. I think is one of the best like horror movies. Yeah. In recent memory. Yeah. Um. Well, Paramount has decided to make a new Cloverfield movie uh, with Babak Anvari set as director. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, I'm gonna pull a little bit from. Um, I believe it was uh, Deadline who yes. had the story. A new Cloverfield pick is in the works with Baban Kanvari directing and Joe Barton writing the script. J.J. Abrams is producing the film from Bad Robot. Brian Burke, Matt Reeves, and Drew Goddard will executive produce. They were involved in the previous installments of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I fucking love Paramount. <laughs> I, every, every chance I get to talk about Paramount being the best, I will. Um, them capitalizing on this, good idea. Uh, they are crushing it with Top Gun Maverick. And as we've mentioned before on the show, they've had a hell of a year. And yeah, um, Top Gun and uh, Sonic was yeah. a big, big one yeah. for them. And clearly, like, clearly they aren't happy with the last Cloverfield film. Mm-hmm. Although it was the best marketing stunt I've ever seen. That was the one where they played the trailer during the Super Bowl. And everyone was like, oh, a new Cloverfield movie. And then it ended with now streaming, streaming now. Yeah. And everyone's like, hold on. Amazing amazing marketing i mean their marketing's always been great for those movies yeah yeah but um you know i think this is a great idea one it's been a while since the last cloverfield not only for like mind of like oh another cloverfield but also like enough time has passed for that bad taste to kind of be gone Mm -hmm. so i'm curious as to if there's going to be a if it's going to be like a a direct sequel to cloverfield finally because i know Mm -hmm. some people I say finally just because our friend Anthony <laughs> loves Cloverfield, the movie. Yeah. And each time they make a new Cloverfield movie and it's not a direct sequel, he's just like, God damn it. Are they <laughs> like, all considered connected in the universe, though? Yeah, they're all in the they same are. world. Okay. But he wants like a that crew direct again sequel. Watch, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I wonder how it's going to play out and how it's going to be. Uh, I don't believe I'm too familiar with the director. At least the name doesn't ring a bell. But, um, you know, I, I still think that doing more with this franchise is a good idea. I think there's a lot of potential there. And, you know... What they have done with the sequels is each one's different. Like the first one was found footage. The second one was like an isolation claustrophobic movie. Mm-hmm. And the third one, from what I understand, is like a space movie. Yeah. So keep it going. Make, give me a Cloverfield comedy. I don't give a shit. You know, this will be interesting. My favorite part of the article that we're, we're pulling from is mm-hmm. just as with any Cloverfield movie, plot details are kept under wraps. Ha ha. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, speaking of uh, the the director that I scrolled down a little mm-hmm. bit on it, as for Babak Anvari, this film marks his first studio tentpole, <gasps> having cut his teeth in the art house thriller world. 
His first film, 2016's Under the Shadow, won him a BAFTA for Outstanding Debut Filmmaker. Okay. The second film, Wounds, starring Army Hammer. Yikes. And Zazie Beetz premiered at Sundance in 2019 and at the Can? Uh, Can? Con? Con? Whatever. Con Director's Fortnite and was released later that year on Hulu. Yeah. So, art house thriller director making Cloverfield. Sold. Yes. What do we say every time? It's never a bad idea to add talent. Nope. And it looks like that's what they're doing. So what do you guys think about the new Cloverfield movie coming? Let us know in the comments as we move on to our next story. Nick, what you got for us next? Um, Well, New Line Cinema is making a sequel to The Nun movie, simply tentatively titled The Nun 2, Creative. with uh, Storm Reed of uh, Euphoria and James Gunn's The Suicide Squad fame has landed the lead role. Uh, so the first question upon hearing, oh, The Nun 2, is why, mm-hmm. just why, when The Crooked Man is right there. How have they never made a Crooked Man movie? It's been in development hell. They're trying. They are trying. That seems like it's the easiest one to make. It's the most obvious one to make. The Correct. Crooked Man was fucking horrifying in The Conjuring 2. Yes. I mean, The Nun was as well. And The Nun, what I'll give The Nun movie, because it's not good. What I'll give The Nun movie. Genius trailer and just showing one scare that is an incredible scare and just having that be the backburn of the entire marketing <laughs> it worked in spades it made tons of money was that the one where they're in like the cave or hallway or something yeah, yeah. and she turns and hello and then it gets her yeah, yeah. amazing scare mm-hmm. but, but like genius marketing move um so yeah i'm gonna pull from the hollywood reporter storm reed who appears opposite zendaya and euphoria has nabbed a lead role in the nun 2 the sequel to the surprise 2018 hit that makes up part of New Line's collection of horror movies known as The Conjuring Universe. I am going to retract some statements about The Nun 2 saying why. I know why. So James Wan can get paid. Good. As long as he's getting paid, I don't care. Because you know he's got some sort of producing credit on this movie. And um, what, what I also want to bring up, one, it says, I hate the phrase surprise hit. It's like, did you make the movie in the hopes it wouldn't? Mm-hmm. I, that just tangent for like, another time it's like elevated horror yeah all <laughs> do not that, that could be a whole episode do not get me started on the elevated horror if you guys want to see me go off an elevated horror let me know in the comments and i will literally dedicate half of an episode to just saying <laughs> fuck the phrase elevated horror anyway um something i am happy about is storm reed she has shown time and again that she is a talent and a force to be reckoned with her projects haven't always been the luckiest because i believe she was in um um, the Disney film directed by Ava DuVernay, something time. Wrinkle in time. Wrinkle in time, yes. And uh, so I know that like sometimes the projects don't always work out, but everything she has appeared in, people always say, hey, she's been very good. Now, The Nun 2, what I will say, well, I didn't like the first Nun. You know what else had a situation in the same universe? Annabelle 1 was trash. Annabelle 2 is good. Yes. That's David, the one directed by David Sandberg, Shazam, and Lights Out. Yes. Right? Yeah. So maybe this is another case of that. We'll have to see. But either way, I am excited for Storm Reed and, you know, the Conjuring Universe. Keep keep on trucking along. So you, you I believe you watch Euphoria, right? I or, don't. Oh, Hannah does. Hannah does. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was going to ask, like, how she is in that in yeah. that show. Because the only thing I, looking at her IMDb, the only thing I think I've seen her in is James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Yeah. And where she, she played she was good the in. daughter of Idris Elba's character. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she held her own with Idris Elba, so that's yeah. like, yeah. Uh, I, I saw this, too. The, uh, the director of it is the director from Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which is oh, the third Conjuring, yeah, yeah. it says. And that's, yeah. that's also the person who did The Curse of La Llorona. Yes. The film opened, uh, Devil Made Me Do It, opened number one at the box office mm-hmm. and pushed the gross of the Conjuring universe to $2 billion. Yes. First of all, for a horror franchise, wow. Yeah. Secondly, um, okay, I feel better about it because like, The Curse of La Llorona, not a great film, mm-hmm. but the directing was the best part of it. I just think it was a weak story that just no director could really elevate to, you know, as much as it could. Conjuring Devil made me do it. Um, obviously not as good as the first two because you don't have James Wan. But what with the material they had, I thought the director did a good job, and it's still a good movie. Yeah. So I I'm optimistic about the Nun two officially. Uh, yeah, I was mark not a, me as optimistic. Was not a big fan of the first one, but. I'm I'm down. I'll yeah. be there. It's a horror movie. Yeah. In the Conjuring universe. 
I like that universe. Yep. And for the love of God, make the Crooked Man. So what do you guys think about The Nun 2 having Storm Reed to be the lead? Let us know down in the comments below. Nick, what you got? Oh, this is a fun one for us. Oh. So a while back on the show, we reported that uh, John Watts, director of Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man Far From Home, Spider-Man No Way Home, was set to produce a Final Destination 6. Yes. Well, that movie has found its directors. Uh Uh-huh. You love the Final Destination franchise. I will let you take it from here. Thank you very much. Yes, I do love the Final Destination (laughs) franchise. And I'm going to pull this from The Hollywood Reporter. Zach Lepofsky and Adam B. Stein, the filmmaking team known for their 2018 sci-fi thriller Freaks, which I unfortunately have not seen yet, have nabbed the coveted gig of directing Final Destination 6, the relaunch of New Line's grand Guggenol horror franchise, whatever that word is. Uh, it's, you know, the, people, the person who wrote this article at The Hollywood Reporter is clearly very smarter than me. Anyway, here's what I'll say. I, I'm of two different minds on this. One, I'm really happy that there's a Final Destination movie coming out like another one mm-hmm. i'm really excited about that because that those movies are so bad but they're so good i think the fifth one's legit good the fifth one was a legit good movie and i think i tapped out at three i believe you did yeah the fifth one very good just watch that one okay and i promise the way it ends you'll be like okay i like that all right i promise um also the only thing that uh, that i'm upset about in terms in regards to Final Destination 6 is that it's not me making it. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I thought maybe, I thought that was going to be the franchise that like no one by the time I, in my imaginary world, become a very big film director where I could be like, hey, Did, I want to do can this. Can I have this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I oh, know, well. I really need this. Yeah. <laughs> I, need to get this <laughs> I to really me. need this. I can't face the music. No, but something I want to bring up, dude. These directors, did you hear how they pitched the new final de- their final destination movie? I have not. I need you to buckle up for this story because right. this is fucking amazing. So, I'm gonna pull from the Hollywood Reporter here and just read verbatim. So it's gonna be a little boring, but you have to hear this. Okay. Um, the two rose to the top thanks to their ideas and passion for the final destination brand. According to sources, the duo were already in line to get the gig. When one final Zoom pitch meeting became what some in Hollywood call the Zoom call to end all Zoom calls. The duo made their pitch to New Line execs and producers together with a burning fireplace behind them just due to for aesthetic. As they wrapped up the meeting, the fire came alive and the mantle began burning. The filmmakers stopped and after a tense moment quickly extinguished the flames. They sat down. Everyone was relieved that the incident had passed. And when things were quiet, a retching creak was heard and suddenly... The whizzing ceiling fan broke off, flew down, and decapitated one of the filmmakers. The exec producers all went from concern to all-out laughter. The bit was pulled off using a combination of pre-recorded footage and visual effects and had transitioned seamlessly and showed their unabashed enthusiasm to be the perfect people to direct the franchise. That's incredible. Dude, how awesome is that? Listen, this movie's a great hand if that's the case. That is so good. Uh, my Amazing. favorite part is the person got decapitated and yeah. everyone immediately knew it was a bit. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Everyone was just like, that's genius. <laughs> oh. Well, this is in good hands. So yes. I am sold. It, that, that's got to be the best pitch story I've ever heard in my life. Is there any way that that meeting was recorded and eventually they'll release Dude, that? I hope so. Like on the Blu-ray or something. Oh, I, I would put so. that right in the marketing. Are you yeah, kidding me? I would too. That is genius. And I, we don't know anything plot details about the movie, but I hope they take like the prey route, and I hope it takes place in like the 1800s on a pirate ship. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> so, and it is Final Destination Six. It's that's like, the working title right now. I'm, I'm sure it'll be called like Final Destination subtitle. I bet it'll like, just be called Final Destination. <laughs> you know, probably, maybe because there there hasn't been one in ten well, years. One of the first one was called Final. Yeah, the first Halloween was yep. called Halloween. Yep. You're right. Yep. You're right. I Scream. Just, yep. <laughs> yep. It's happening again. How much anyway, time you got? <laughs> yeah. What do you guys think about the Final Destination 6 directors? And do you also think that was the greatest pitch of all time, like myself? We're going to transition now from one John Watts produced project to another. Is he still on producer? For F4? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Is he an EP? Mm. I tried to create a transition that did not exist. Anyway, Nicholas, <laughs> continue. 
Um, yeah, this one comes to us from Deadline. Fantastic Four has found its writers. Uh, we previously reported last show, two shows ago, Matt Shackman mm-hmm. of WandaVision was directing the film, and now people are writing it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm going to pull this from Deadline. Marvel Studios has now found its writers to deliver the new Fantastic Four pick. Sources tell Deadline that Jeff Kaplan and Ian Springer are on board to write the script for the film. Now, I'm not too familiar with their work. However, apparently if you read the whole article, they're writing like a ton of Fantastic Four stuff. Like they're doing the first movie and they're outlining where the franchise goes. Oh, wow. So they must have, like, blown Kevin Feige's mind with a pitch or something. And obviously these, these films are going to lead up into the next Avengers films, Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, and Matt Shackman coming on. This is great. Look, basically what this means, what this news means, is this movie is it's coming, and they're going to start work on it seven months. Mm-hmm. Probably start shooting it. I'm excited. And here's the thing. They've been writing for longer than Matt Shackman was attached. So I wonder if they're still going to use... Probably back when like John Watts was... Yeah, so I wonder if they're yeah. still going to use that script. Probably. We haven't heard that Matt Shackman has said no. And maybe one of the conditions of the director was, we have the story. We just need you to come direct the story. So we'll see. But we do know that they held off on casting because they wanted Matt Shackman to have a, a word in it. Mm-hmm. So maybe... And if that tells me that they're probably going to use the script that John Watts had and that it's the script that they wrote... Because you wouldn't go straight to casting unless you had a script. Had already so, a good outline yeah. on what it's going to be. Yeah. yeah, so that's what that tells me. What do you what do you think about this? I mean, I think that's great. I mean, reading the article, it looks like the they haven't really done a lot so far, but uh it looks like in the last year they sold a bunch of uh like spec scripts. Mm-hmm. Um and one of the projects is gonna be Warner Brothers comedy called Disaster Wedding which is going to be the follow-up film for the Palm Springs director Ooh, with uh, Andy Samberg. I love that movie. Time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so clearly they got some good stuff in the works. So, and Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios have been always really good at finding talent at this stage. Yeah. So Hey, you you had no idea who James Gunn was yeah. before Kevin Feige hired him. You had no idea who the Rooster Brothers were before Kevin Feige hired him. Here's the biggest thing, though. Mm-hmm. If Fantastic Four is bad, no more Fantastic Four movie ever. I agree. If Marvel Studios can't make a good Fantastic Four movie, shut it down. Just stop. Yeah. I agree. But if they're already planning their future franchise, clearly something's good in the works, so I am all for it. Yeah. I am all for it as well. And I, I'm looking forward to see what it is, and I hope to, hopefully we'll learn more Fantastic Four details just as time goes by. Yeah. What do you guys think about the Fantastic Four finding its writers? Let us know as we move on. To our next story. Nick, what you got next? Uh, This next one comes from Vanity Fair as my laptop fails to load. (laughs) Um, So this one more, not really a, it is a story, more like a profile. Okay. Uh, Darth Vader's voice in Obi-Wan Kenobi was being emanated Emanated. Emanated from war-torn Ukraine. As conflict raged, Ukrainian tech workers at Reese Speecher hurried to bring back James Earl Jones' legendary voice for the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Yes, and basically, this is a very fascinating article. I highly encourage all our listeners to go read it. Basically, it's profiling someone named Bogdan Belyev, sorry if I mispronounced the name, um, who was a working in like AI voice work mm-hmm. from Ukraine. And he was the person that they went to for Luke's voice and Book of Boba Fett. And basically that was his job. And then the war in Ukraine happened. And he was like, he was working on Obi-Wan for Darth Vader. And he was like, I need to hurry up with this because there is a war happening. Yeah. And the whole story just goes into how he was um, told by Lucasfilm, like, hey, don't worry about it. Like, uh, we understand. And he was like, no, (laughs) I am finishing this. Let me do this, please. And they agreed and he was able to pull it off and it was seamless voice work on the obi-wan kenobi show but inside this story uh, but this amazing profile of this awesome person was a bigger note that kind of made the headlines and that is james earl jones who's now 91 years old has officially retired from the voice of darth vader and he signed off to this guy and this company in lucasfilm to use all his previous archival footage and that person's ai voice company 
to create the voice of Darth Vader in the future. So while it will still sound like James Earl Jones and technically just be variations of James Earl Jones, he will never record new lines as Darth Vader again, which is sad. But at the end of the day, amazing that he signed off on it. Like he recognized like, yep, the voice is kind of important to people. And yeah, this is fine. I'm 91 years old. This is fine. And also, but they also mentioned that he's going to have input on stuff. Like they're like, hey, we're going to say this with the voice. And he can kind of be like, that's not what Darth Vader would say. I mean, I don't know how much how they how much they'd listen to him, but yeah. they're giving him the option. And um, this he, guy and this in Ukraine, this Ukrainian person, incredible. If you read the article, but yeah, it's kind of the end of an era, you know. It is, and and I'm really glad to see that James Earl Jones kind of sees the the future of movies and like mm-hmm. how things are made, and is like, I am Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Fuck anyone else being Darth <laughs> Vader. Yeah. First of all, yeah, I am Darth Vader. Yeah. Um, and agreeing to that, you know, that's a way that his legacy through the character can live on. Mm-hmm. And again, like the the input, it's probably just making sure, like, hey, he's not saying "fuck you, Obi Wan Kenobi." <laughs> yeah, you know, like just like, all right, you know. Do you know how badly <laughs> I would have loved it in Obi Wan Kenobi if he was like Anakin, come back to the light, and he was like, "fuck you, fuck you," in James Earl Jones's voice. I mean, the man's ninety one. That's impressive as hell. And whatever yeah. gets him cash and checks still. I'm all for it. A thousand percent. But that's so cool about the the bigger story, like just how that just that that one uh Bogdan's mm-hmm. passion for Star Wars probably yeah. also took his mind off a bunch of stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. The power of like fandom yeah. within that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... No, it's it's an amazing article. You guys have to go check it out. Mm-hmm. It's on Vanity Fair. But uh but yeah, what do you guys think about um that amazing person and the unfortunate sadness that James Earl Jones retired as the voice of Darth Vader? Let us know as we move on to what is sure to be my favorite story. Because <laughs> we've been waiting on this one. We have. Um, Don't Worry Darling came out this week. We actually saw it. Stay tuned for our review. Yes. Um, But before we go into the review, we thought we should finally, now that everything has come to light and seems to be done, let's recap some drama. Yes, yes. So... Basically, we kind of want to give a brief timeline as to... I don't have exact dates and times, but I remember shit unfolding as it was happening. Yeah. And then we'll get into the story that came out in Vulture that kind of got to the bottom of what the drama was. So, basically, um, people started noticing that Florence Pugh, uh, a few months ago, was not really promoting Don't Worry Darling at all. Like, she posted the trailer. That's it. People would tag her from the movie. She wouldn't respond. Specifically, Olivia Wilde. And it's like, huh. Okay. And people started coming up with the fact that, like, I think something must have gone down because normally Florence Pugh promotes all of her projects. And while we said, hey, that's not really typical of a normal actor, basically, if you're posting stuff on social media, what a lot of people don't know as an actor, that's in your contract. Like, when you sign up for the movie, you sign that you will participate in promotion of the film, which means on certain days, at certain times, you post trailers, posters, all that stuff. And But now, what they were pointing out, people online were just saying, like, yeah, but there's not even, like, behind the scene, like, nothing. Which, okay. But, you know, that could have been seen as whatever. But then, the Venice Film Festival happened, and she didn't look at Olivia Wilde at all. And didn't do anything. Like, didn't even speak to her. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay. Something did happen. But, the social media probably just wasn't in her contract. That's what we predicted. We were half right, half wrong. Mm-hmm. But anyway, more drama with the film. People thought Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine. He didn't. It was just a thing that looked like he did. Spitgate. <laughs> Spitgate. And um, then there's the thing with Shia LaBeouf, mm-hmm. who was hired onto the movie. And Olivia Wilde was doing a bunch of press saying that Shia LaBeouf was fired from the film. And Shia LaBeouf brought receipts to Variety and was like, no, I quit the movie. And here's you trying to get me to come back to the movie. With the video of Olivia Wilde. And yes. Shia, yes. Shia, Shia, Shia. Yes, yes. So basically that um, put things into a weird perspective with Olivia Wilde. And while I think that part of it is dead and that Olivia Wilde kind of lied about Shia LaBeouf, although what might have happened is Shia might have quit and Olivia was going to fire him and it just kind of worked itself out. That she was recently on Stephen Colbert's show. Yeah. And he like straight up asked her, he's like, did he quit or did you fire him? Mm -hmm. And she... She dodged it. She kind of dodged it, and he kept asking again. And he was like, so what you're saying is he was going to quit, so you fired him, or you were going to fire him, so he quit? And she was like, eh. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. he quit. 
Yeah, that's my that's I, my that, that's my guess. my interpretation of that is he did quit the film because yeah. she wouldn't have reached out saying I want to make this work. I feel like if she fired him, exactly. Right? Yeah. So, anyways, so that's dead. But then there was still this hanging thread of Florence Pugh, mm-hmm. of like what is going on with that. So Vulture did some reporting, and we officially have what happened on the set of Don't Worry Darling, specifically in regards to Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde. I'm going to pull from that Vulture article now. About three quarters of the way through filming, Pugh had reportedly grown fed up with with the director's frequently unexplained absences. Olivia and Harry would just disappear, our source says. But the breaking point came when Pugh, 26, and Wilde, 38, broke into a screaming match, this person recalls. According to our source, the acrimony allegedly reached all the way to the top of the studio totem pole after production wrapped, with the highest-ranking Warner Brothers executive at the time, Toby Emmerich, forced to play referee in a long-term negotiation process to ensure that Pugh would participate in the film's life cycle in any way and not jeopardize the potential box office of the film. And it was later in that article revealed that part of the agreement was that Pugh would not participate in the press. Mm. So... While we knew it involved contracts, she negotiated it out of her contract to promote the film because she was so upset with Olivia Wilde's absences on set. Basically, yeah. her and Harry Styles, you know, happened on Don't Worry Darling. Well, I believe also, I think Florence Pugh and Jason Sudeikis, Olivia Wilde's ex, are close. They are. They're friends. So on top of all of that. Yeah it probably just made it like, okay, well, this is my friend. Yeah. And I believe they were already split by the time yeah. that, but like... It, it, it was... That's my friend. I don't know how to address that at work. Yeah. And then it became, okay, now you're not showing up to work? Yeah, now it's like, all right, I'm going to leave that at the door. Yeah. I was hired to do this job. I'm going to yeah. do the job. But mm-hmm. then the director's not doing their job. They're yeah. running away with the person who yeah. they or may not have been cheating on with. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's like, just like, listen, I'm here to work. Why aren't you here to work? That That's basically what it became. Yeah. And um, here's what I will say about the situation. One, Olivia Wilde, if it's true, come on. Mm-hmm. Show up to set. I understand Harry Styles is very hot. I agree. <laughs> right? You're there to do a job, do the job. Right? And I think she's a great filmmaker. I do. Mm-hmm. Florence Pugh, good on you for playing fucking ball. She was like, I just don't want to promote the movie. I won't talk shit. Yeah. I won't do any of that. I just want to promote the movie. I just don't want to promote the movie. I, I think with that like so much respect to Florence Pugh because mm-hmm. one I think she's one of the most talented actresses working in Hollywood currently big agree hands down and she gives a hell of a performance in the movie which we'll get to into the review mm-hmm. but also like the screaming match and like everything like that on set I feel like a lot of people look to the actors and the directors to mm-hmm. set a standard yes so in that moment i really don't even think florence Pugh was standing up for like herself or just like you know what Mm -hmm. this is angering me i think it was all of these people are here yeah trying to do your vision Mm -hmm. and you're not here Mm -hmm. so like it's not even for her yeah it was more for like look at all of these thousands of people that are here Mm -hmm. to help on this yeah I mean, they're paid, but yeah. working on this. And I'm, I'm curious, too, because it had to have, I assume it had to have happened late in production. Because from what we know about most people who worked on set, most people who worked on set said the production was mostly smooth. Yeah. And and then it says they played referee after the film wrapped, like, to figure out the deal. So I'm thinking it was at the end of production when Florence Pugh finally was just like, that's it. Like, what, what do we got, a day left? Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. I'll go off now. But like, um, so that's interesting. And also Warner Brothers in um, response to this story put out a statement oh, say, did they? saying that um, Olivia Wilde ran a wonderful set. We love her. We love working with her all as well. Okay. Um, now have worth have worse things gone on set? Yes. Do I think Olivia Wilde's career should be hurt because of this? No. I just think she made a mistake, mm-hmm. right? Because from what we know about Booksmart, 
she was always present, was always there, was always being the director, you know. So while I understand Florence Pugh's upset, which she finally did post pictures with Olivia Wilde, finally. Oh, did she? After the movie, yeah, after the movie came out. <laughs> but, um. She's like, all right. Yeah. I've caught her. I'll yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. But also, I love how it's like, oh, she can't. And I bought this too for a little bit until I thought about it. But it's like, oh, Florence can't promote the movie because she's filming Dune 2. They're both Warner Brothers movies. You don't think when they hired her for Dune 2, they wouldn't leave spaces in her to promote their other movie at the same studio? Well, also, I'm sure she has a PR team that would handle posting Yeah, all of that. Yeah. Hey, emails, photos on the set. We'll handle the Instagram post. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Done. Yeah. So clearly, she was pissed off, mm-hmm. and I understand. Yeah, and now this is now this is me guessing. Mm-hmm. Olivia Wilde being very kind to Florence Pugh in the press, saying that she's great doing all this. To me, it comes across as apologetic, like just like I'm very sorry. Yeah, and I I would accept her apology, you know. Mm-hmm. But I also don't know what was said. Right, that, that's the big caveat. That's the big what, caveat. What was I don't know on. what was said. Right. So we'll find out more about that. But that was it. That's what happened on set was mm-hmm. Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde got into a screaming match over Olivia Wilde disappearances from the set. That's been uncovered. Now, let's do this to transition into the actual review of the film, oh, ho, ho. which we did see uh, this past weekend. We did. It wasn't bad. It was not bad. It was not good enough for all of this drama that happened. Agreed. <laughs> it's not an overly fantastic movie, yeah. but it's not a bad movie by any means. Mm-hmm. Not at all. It's It does a lot of things great. The performances across the board are pretty great. Harry Styles does okay. There are scenes where he nails it, and there are scenes where he does not. And the scenes where he does not do stand out. But, you know, when you... I feel bad for Harry Styles because yeah. when you're a relatively new actor doing Dunkirk and Eternals, and those are very small roles, and it's like, all right, here's Florence Pugh, Chris Pine, uh, Nick Kroll, all these people who've worked in the industry and are amazing actors for years, act against them. You know? I think my biggest thing with Harry Styles, and it's not even necessarily his performance, but mm-hmm. you can just very clearly tell that that role was not written for a Harry Styles type performer yes and not even necessarily saying like oh it was written for shia labeouf because it probably was not written for shia labeouf Mm -hmm. but you can very clearly tell like ah this person is not supposed to be in this role and the tweaks that they tried to make Mm -hmm. to make it fit him Mm -hmm. were one forced there's a very obvious one that's hysterical that 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 one was like oh my god can we how how spoilery can we get let's not not just yeah you know okay but they they address something way too late in the game <laughs> is my biggest issue. Yeah, yeah. Because given the setting and the time period, I just thought it was bad acting. Okay, I don't mind saying what it is. Yeah. Because I I, I think differently than you. Okay. Basically, a lot of people we watched the movie with thought that Harry Styles was supposed to be playing an American. Yes. He's not. He's British. Mm-hmm. I right away was like, oh, he's British. Because he is British in real life or English. I don't know what the proper term is. But a lot of people didn't realize that until about halfway through the movie, somebody says, oh, you know, you Brits. And then that kind of, and then, but there's a thing, there's a thing later. That's what we're talking about. That's like, oh my God, I can't believe that they had to do that later in the movie. Yeah. But to me, I was like, oh, he's British because Gemma Chan was British. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. But I, now if Gemma Chan was not British, I would be thinking how you were thinking. And that, like, is, is he trying to be American? Like, what's... But he wasn't. You know? Honestly, I didn't even pick up on the Gemma Chan thing. I was just, yeah. like, given, obviously, from the trailers, the yeah. vibes are, like, yeah. these nuclear family, hometown yeah. America, and a majority of the cast is American. Yeah. So I was just led to, in my mind, that was what mm-hmm. connected for me. Yeah. And then you see some of his acting, because a lot of it didn't sound British. Mm-hmm. Which I think is the issue. Yeah. Because it made it, because it wasn't so overly British, like, his, mm. but then he'd say a word and it was like. Because it wasn't his normal British voice. Exactly. At least it didn't sound like it. So I think that's where the conflict happened. Then when they introduced these British, I was like, that was way too late in the game. Yeah. For and me to, so that, that kind of took me out of it for him. I, I, I see it. I, I clocked it with Gemma Chan and okay. I was like, oh, okay, he's British. But I, I get that. Yeah. Um, 
with what I will say about him, his chemistry with Florence Pugh was actually pretty good. Yeah. One of the best parts of the movie is their chemistry. Mm -hmm. I thought Chris Pine crushed it. And um, for complaints about the movie, I would say that the only thing that really, the only big things, two big things that I didn't like about the movie. One, when it started, I was super interested in what was going on. Mm -hmm. Each second the movie continued, I got less and less interested. And then the reveal at the end of what's going on, which I hate when people say movies are predictable because to me that's not a bad thing. It's just how you pull it off. Yeah. Like if I guess what's happening, good for me, but do it in a way that's cool. So that didn't bother me that I figured out what was going on. Too late for me, the reveal. Mm-hmm. Because they did the reveal and then the end. Like, it didn't end immediately, but... With with what the concept of the reveal was, it should mm-hmm. have been introduced, like, midway through the movie. And then it gives you a whole different avenue yes. of story to bounce between. And then the rest of the movie is about how yeah. does it get resolved. It immediately adds so many more stakes. Yeah. Because I didn't feel the stakes... Yeah, exactly. It should have been a thriller, not a mystery. Okay, I, I see that. But but also, um, another thing that just didn't work for me in the movie was it's there's sequences that are very experimental. Mm. And the first time was cool. The second time I was like, all right. And I know people love, there are people and who- And the third time. Yeah, and I know there are people who love experimental cinema and like yeah. the editing. And the editing itself was, in those moments were fine. But I was just like, okay, this I'm sick of this. But also, um, the pacing of the movie, strange. Mm-hmm. That's my other big issue was the pacing. It wasn't paced very well, and there are scenes that go- the editing, the actual editing itself. I don't know if it's good or bad because I don't know if this was an editor's choice or a Olivia Wilde choice. There are scenes that go on for too long, mm-hmm. and and it's not like you're supposed to sit in the moment, you know. Yeah, I'll give a great example. Chris Pine's introductory scene felt like it was five minutes long. And he eventually just... That was when they're at the party? At his house party, yeah. Okay, yeah. That scene felt like it was five minutes long, like his speech. Mm -hmm. Cut the speech in half, because I'm pretty sure by the second half of the scene, he was just repeating what he just said. Yeah. It just... And I'm like, all right, we... I don't think this is spoilery. They want you to know, Chris Pine, kind of sketchy. Mm -hmm. He's such a good actor, I picked that up when he spoke, when he opened his mouth. Yeah, I don't need the creepy speech. I mean, some of the speech, sure. But like, oh, he's sketchy. Like right when he started talking. And it go- went on for some time. And I was just like, this can my, go. You my know? biggest issue. But, like, but there are moments like that throughout the movie. I think my biggest issue with Chris Pine's character, wonderful performance. Yeah. But it's like th- that character he was playing, which you kind of get from the trailers, is he's mm-hmm. kind of like, in charge of yeah. whatever's going on. Yeah. And he kind of played like the weird, like calm, reserved, like cult leader type personality. Yeah. And then the crazy one. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he did it at the wrong times. Okay. I see what you mean. Like, and you're, and you're trying to be vague, but yeah, yeah. but I see what like, you mean. Like in the end, he should have been one of them, but yeah. he was the other. And yeah. it took me out of it entirely. I was like, N- what? Mm-hmm. Why is this happening? I see, I see what you mean. Also, I felt like there were too many characters. There were a lot. There were a lot. The, it felt like there was a lot because mm-hmm. they had the one fam, the the one couple with the uh, the guy from WandaVision mm-hmm. and the, who did a very good job. Who did and the his wife in the movie who's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they introduced a new couple that moved into the neighborhood, and then there's the established one of like Olivia Wilde and Nick Kroll, and you're like bouncing, and you're like they're yeah, cut one of these people. Yeah. And I, I think that going into positives of the movie. Yeah. Very tense. Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh and <laughs> carries the movie. Very tense. Like, I felt the intensity of the movie. When the mystery was unraveling at first, I was very interested in it. Mm-hmm. There are some sequences that are great. Oh, yeah. Sequences in the film. Um, the score. Oh. Really good score. Loved it. And it's very, like, it reminded me of the score for <laughs> King Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> where, where it's just like the breathiness <laughs> and the <laughs> and like that, <laughs> yeah. But it's like that, but used for like horror, and it worked really well. I thought the score was really well done. Um, I like. There's a chase sequence at the end that was better than it had any right to be. Mm-hmm. 
really enjoyed that chase sequence. And um, the overarching story of what is going on itself, very disturbing to think about. My biggest issue with that was I think it was a great concept mm-hmm. that was not explored enough. Could beca- have been executed better. Be- I agree. Because they do the end. Mm-hmm. They reveal what's going on and mm-hmm. then end. Yeah. And I feel like that hurt the movie more because mm-hmm. I think overall everything was a great concept. And yeah. I, they had 70% of a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because like, cause like we yeah. said, the movie is not bad. Mm-hmm. But I do think this had the potential to be an all-time great. Especially and it, after... And it came sh- short. Especially after Booksmart. Uh-huh. And how great that movie that is. That a debut. And mm-hmm. then all the drama definitely didn't help it. It didn't but help. I felt like all the drama didn't affect my... Enjoyment of, of it? No, movie. not at all. Because... I, yeah. I wasn't even thinking about the drama when I was watching the movie. The only thing I thought of throughout it was kind of just like picturing Shia LaBeouf in the Harry Styles role. But yeah. that was kind of really where it yeah. ended to yeah. me. Yeah. No, but like, it's fine. I'd recommend it mm-hmm. personally. In, in in the world of recommend or don't, I'd I'd recommend. Yeah, if they, if it's kind of just between those two, I'd definitely yeah. recommend. It's like I I don't know. I, I feel like I'd want to revisit this movie once. Yeah, and be like, you know, what, let me give it one more shot. Now see that I, I know what's going on, see like how I like it, it more, or less. how it plays differently. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Before we move on, I do want to do a little bit of housekeeping for the channel. Uh, While we love to have you guys watch and join us on YouTube, we really appreciate it. We understand that life gets busy and that sometimes you're constantly running around or maybe you just don't like to see our faces, especially Nick's. And so for your listening pleasure, the Movie Nights Roundtable is available in audio-only form on Spotify, Apple, Google, all your major podcasting apps of your choice. Simply open the podcasting app, type in Movie Nights Roundtable into the search bar, and look for our big yellow logo. And vice versa, if you are listening to us, please find us on YouTube. We are on YouTube as Movie Nights. We do the podcast. We do movie reviews, which are kind of pulled from the podcast. Oh, well. But we also have tons of other content we do. We make short films. We promote them there. Please, if you're listening to us, check us out on YouTube as well. And now we're going to go into the box office. Box office. I love doing that. Speaking of Don't Worry Darling, coming in number one at the box office. Again, Sunday estimates. We'll post the finals when we post the final Monday numbers when we post the show on Tuesday. Yes. Um, Any estimates, Don't Worry Darling comes in number one with $19.2 million. Oh, wow. Coming in second place is The Woman King, making $11.1 million. Coming in third is Avatar 1 with $10 million. James Cameron, you son of a bitch. James Cameron. By the way, Woman King only dropped 42% from weekend one to weekend two. That amazes me how well that movie is doing. I really want to see it. Me too. There was no marketing. Just because the marketing, yeah, yeah. There was zero marketing. And the fact that it's number two at the box office, 40% drop, that's yeah. word of mouth works. It's it's the best form of marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. I should have said Avatar in its 667th week of release. <laughs> Shit. Um... Coming in fourth is Barbarian, making $4.8 million, dropping 26% from week two to week three. Hell yeah, Zach Krieger! <laughs> and coming in fifth, still in the top five, dropping 39% from weekend one to weekend two. Pearl. Hell yeah. Great movie. Great movie. Um, Yes, yeah, so um, one thing I want to point out box office-wise, though, is that we were wondering if it was going to happen, Nick. We were wondering. We were like, we don't know, though, because it's kind of back and forth. Because mm-hmm. with Top Gun Maverick making over a billion dollars, it's the only film in 2022 to really do so, so far. And we were like, is there going to be another film? Um, Doctor Strange came close, didn't quite get there. And I thought that was going to be the sure one to do it. Yeah. Didn't do it. Well, it happened. A second film crossed a billion dollars, and it's... Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> it finally. Well, the past got like two, three it. weeks, it was at like nine, nine, eight, right? Yeah, yeah. We were just yeah. like, maybe. Yes, it it's by tomorrow. Will be. It will be over a billion. Good for them. Good. Terrible for, movie, but good for them. Good for them. Yes. It makes money, and that's why they keep making them. And Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yes. Yes. Uh, here's my question about the top five, though. Mm-hmm. One, never bet on James Cameron. Never, if anything, never that bet just shows them. you that Avatar 2 is going to yeah. do well. Never bet against James Cameron, absolutely. 
Don't worry, darling. Mm-hmm. Twenty million about. Yes. That's a solid opening for a movie like that. It's a very solid opening. Now, do you think any of that was fueled by all the drama of people being like, let's go check this out? Yes and no. Because before the drama, people were interested in the movie. Yeah. I think the drama helps, personally. Mm-hmm. But, um, I just think it's bad press. No. <laughs> and the film cost $35 million to make. So. Ooh. That's a tough one. Well, I mean, I think it will... So it needs 80? Probably. Roughly. We'll see. I guess, well, we got some big, big movies coming out soon. Well, I think it doesn't have that much competition other than Avatar until, like, Black Adam comes out. Because Bros comes out this weekend. I don't think it'll make crazy amount of money, but Smile comes out, and that will make money. Mm-hmm. Smile will make money. I think it'll be in the top five for the next, like... I think so, too. Five weeks. Oh, I do. Yeah. And the second weekend's what's gonna determine how, how it will do. Yeah. That's exactly. that's what it's that's what will determine it. Um let me let me look at the Woman of King. Let me, let me see what the budget of that film was. Uh okay, budget was fifty million, and so far it's made thirty seven worldwide. Got a bit to go. But hey, that drop if that yeah. drops an indication of how well it'll do, it'll keep doing well. I mean, I'm just sad that that movie got no marketing and uh, the Sam Rockwell see how they run movie got like yeah. no marketing as well. Yeah. And um, I'm an idiot because I was clicking each movie to see yeah. what their total box office was, and I just clicked on fucking Avatar. <laughs> I know how much money Avatar has made. Um, Barbarian is now at 29 million worldwide. Good, I good think, for them. I think the budget was like 10. So, gangbusters. Yep, they're now at three times their budget basically. Pearl was made for about one million, which we know. It's at six. They marketed the hell out of that movie. That movie was on every app, every social media. That was the only ad I got. I want the poster so bad. The one of her and the axe with the X behind her. Yeah. I want it so bad. That'd be a good one. But uh, but yeah, that's that's the box office for uh, the last weekend. Again, we'll post the final numbers in on Monday. <sighs> what a show. What a show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for, for checking us in. out. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Uh, no, just go ahead and... Uh... Let the people know where to find us. So yeah, that's it for us today, guys. If you like what you heard on today and you'd like more, don't forget to subscribe to the official Movie Nights YouTube channel for our weekly shows, movie reviews, etc. And you can also check out our social media channels where we post updates, uh, short video clips where we promote our short films. And those links can be found in the video description, which I will remember to do this time. You got anything for us, buddy? No, that's it. Take care, brush your hair. Take care, brush your hair. Thank you guys so much for watching, and we'll see you next week.